Welcome everyone to Link to the Cast, episode 145. On the show this week, Dave is in Italy pretending to be a 90s football host, so Mark and Jack are taking the reins. Mark gives his thoughts on E3. You can apparently no longer catch them all in Pokemon Sword and Shield. Of course, Watch Dogs Legion has made it onto the BBC, and Nintendo have given details about the last ever Splatfest coming this July. In the book club this week, we're going back to 1993 to talk about one of the weirder entries in the Legend of Zelda series. We are talking about Link's Awakening. Let's start the show. This is Links of the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera, available everywhere. Good podcasts are sold, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many more. I am your party host this week. I am the platforming prodigy, Mark Robinson. With me, as always, is the Roman Reigns of Audio. Some may also call him the Death Rider of the podcasting world. He is Jack Lazell. Jack, how are you? I'm alright. Death Rider. Have you won any United States championships in Japan recently? Uh, about that. Regarding your previous question, no, I don't <laughs> think I have. Have you? But been, you know what? Have you been married to Renee Young recently? I kind of wish that I had, but no. I, I also, I think I'm going to have to go with no on that too. That's that's unfortunate. I I wish you you know luck with that in the future. Well, look, me and Renee, we might not be compatible, you know? Like, I might say... She's Canadian, well, like, you're English, I mean... Yeah, can English, yeah. yeah. Well, that kind of almost sounds like a could, bad word. You could bring the Commonwealth back together again, you know? <laughs> yeah, what with some can English, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say, like, you know, say you're chatting to somebody, you're trying to get on and see how you would connect, and, like, you say something like, oh, you know, I very much enjoy the early works of Weezer, and they're like, oh, no, I hate Weezer. And you know, like, I don't care if it is Renee Young, man. I'm slamming my, my glass of whatever I'm drinking down and I'm getting the hell out of there. Yeah, but what would be I'm worse? I'm taking my United States championship with me, throwing would, it over my shoulder. What would be worse if they said that they don't enjoy the works of Weezer or that they think Make Believe is the best Weezer album? Interesting. Probably the, the early thing. Just because Make Believe is like, wow. It's got a few songs on it. All right. right. What about if it was... um... If you're going... Ratitude. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Ratitude is actually worse. Like, I probably... I mean, I'd never speak to that person again. Is that the worst Weezer album? Is it Ratitude? I I don't remember a thing about the Black album at all. Ratitude is the one that had um, Lil Wayne on it. All right. But didn't that have... um... Girl, if you think that I want you to or want it to... What the hell was that song called? If you're wondering if, if I want if you wanted, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want you to. Yeah. yeah, that's the only thing about the album that was good. Actually, no. Um, it was a Pacific Daydream. That's the worst Weezer album. Pac- mm. No, I quite like that song that had um, uh, Pete Wentz in the video. You are the it was... only one. It's so absurdly, weirdly bad that I like it. I don't know what it is about Weezer, but sometimes like their shit songs really get to me. Like they tickle me. Like Beverly Hills, I know objectively. I'm fine with a... Beverly Hills. I don't get the hate for Beverly Hills. It's I know it's a bad song though. Like you uh, must yeah, know that's a bad song. Right? It, it is a bad song. 
I mean, it has the line, when the housemaids scrub the floor, they get the spaces in between. That is on a pop song on the radio. Rivers is both a very good lyricist and also a fucking horrendous lyricist, and he treads that fine... He oscillates between that line wildly is the best way I can put it. See also Paul Banks from Interpol. (laughs) Yeah, I'll give you that as well. Yeah. Um, Yeah. This is for that uh, long-awaited music podcast that we're going to do at some point. Uh, I've got an idea for the format that I've basically stolen from Colin Murray that I will I will drop at some point, and then maybe we can give it a go. All right, well, we'll have that conversation at some other point. Um, so, anyway, uh, this show is a bit weird. Video games! This, well, I was going to say, this show is a bit weird because uh, Jack and Dave have actually done a, a review on E3 and spoken all about that, uh, but that show got delayed being put up, so that podcast is actually going to be up next week which will be episode 144 so this is 145 so the timeline is a bit screwy kind of makes sense it's kind of apropos that we're doing a legend of zelda game and talking about timelines um but i wanted to just quickly give my thoughts on e3 uh i don't know what you and they thought because that podcast <laughs> is not up yet well um, i know how you know i know how i know that you haven't heard it is that you're still talking to the pair of us <laughs> well yeah there's that <laughs> <laughs> go ahead um okay I, i'll wait and see what happens on that episode then <laughs> the scoreboard oh i know i lost i've already seen that but anyway okay uh, I yeah i just i just uh, you're gonna hear some uh you're gonna hear some analysis okay. as to why you lost and see what you think okay can't wait um but overall so e3 was kind of a muted affair this year which we kind of knew going in because EA weren't doing their usual presentation and Sony weren't turning up and it did feel very much for to a certain degree like a kind of holding pattern until next year when we get you know all the big new console announcements and um, maybe some uh, new games I mean there was still plenty of stuff there was still plenty of news um, so I don't think it's a complete write-off. I don't think E3 as a whole is a complete write-off. Um, some people have definitely declared that this really is sort of the death of E3 this year. Um, but The no. death of E3? Based on what? Uh, just based on the fact that uh, well, it's over the death or E3 have to completely change the way that they are. And obviously we've had the uh, inclusion of, of uh, consumers and the general public being allowed into E3 as, you know, E3 always, always used to be a trade show. Um, but, you know, we've seen pictures and video clips of the last day of E3 where it was just, it was barren. You know, everyone had done everything they needed to do and they'd gone. And a lot of people that have been going to, to the convention for years were saying that, you know, I'd never seen it as empty as it was on the last day, which I'm not sure if you can say is the exact barometer. Like, if you've done everything you need to do in the first two days, there isn't really much of a reason to stick around for the third day. Um, that makes me want to go to E3 next year. Yeah, on I those was thinking days. that as well. It's like that sounds perfect. I'd go when there's no one else there. That sounds amazing. Exactly. Yeah, um, but also I, you know, a lot of it kind of is is determined on the really just the amount of effort that the publishers and developers want to put into actually you know showing anything at E3. Uh, the, the thing that annoyed me more than anything else was just the amount of game trailers that we got that didn't actually have any game footage and i remember there was a tweet from ign about the avengers game saying hey look first gameplay trailer for the avengers and i was like there's no fucking gameplay here it is all cinematic yeah um, at the risk at the risk of uh too too much repeating of what me and dave said 
We have no fucking idea what that game no, is. No, no one has a fucking clue what the game is because it didn't say, say anything. The only thing we know is that uh, Mac from Always Sunny is playing the part of Iron Man. That is about it. Isn't Jack Black Thor? Um, as in doing the voice or just the character model? Because I don't know. <laughs> That's pretty. <laughs> oh dear, can you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. I, no, I think I. I don't know. I don't know, but he said he in one of his like like weird YouTube videos. Do you know Jack Black has a YouTube gaming channel? He does. I'm aware of that. Hey, do you know he also plays games on like five percent of the videos that he puts up? That sounds well. I mean, that and every other gamer on YouTube these days. Let's be fair. Not to mention the fact that the game that he's played the most on his YouTube channel, Jablinski Games. If any of you want to check it out is actually brutal legend <laughs> that, that's perfect that's that's incredible i love the it the best part the best part is that the whole game is just being narrated by jack black <laughs> jack black is narrating jack black narrating as um, jack black <laughs> I, that sounds like a level of purgatory that i'm not quite willing to accept um yeah i know he has the gaming channel i've watched like five minutes of it um, he he made a joke like a crack about voicing Thor in the new Avengers game. I don't know if it was just a crack. I'm not or... going to take that entirely to heart just yet. But he would be so great at that. Um, Thor, I'm not sure. Like, there's probably there's there's a place for him, I guess, but I'm not sure about Thor. Hmm. He's he's got too much. It like him. Source. <laughs> that, but like him and. Actually, I'm not even going to say Robin Williams because Robin Williams has done, had done, um, you know, more serious parts and more serious, and just can have a serious tone to his voice. Jack is just, he's too, I don't think you can have that kind of heroic, grandiose type of style to your voice where it doesn't sound sincere. Like, it's always just like, yeah, that's just Jack Black doing that. I just don't think he could do that kind of... Okay. I see your point, but I raise you the Wonder Boy video, yeah, which I, is basically Thor. Yeah, I know, I know, but it's still it's it's Jack Black, Jack Black performing the part of not. Hey, I can separate who the person is doing this part. You know. Yeah. You know. But you, but he has the power to kill you. I yeah. Two hundred right, yards away okay, with mind bullets. Okay. 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 It's telekinesis, Mark. Anyway, we've gone slightly <laughs> off track there. Um, E3 was, I enjoyed it for the most part, that yes, it was a bit of a muted affair. Um, I look forward to hearing more on what you and Dave thought last week. But yes, I already did see the results and I know that I lost, which is fine, you know. But, you know, I at least made an attempt this year, so hey. By half a point, though. Like, it's not like... No, no. Uh, but you I, might have something to say about the, how the how the points were scored. That's why I said I look forward to your rebuttal. I mean, considering there's not exactly any kind of prize on the line here, I'm not going to put up too much of a fight, so whatevs. It's the most treasured prize of all, Mark. Pride. Bragging rights, as Michael called. Braggadocio. Yeah. Um, anyway, shall we move on to what we've been playing this week? Hell yeah. Hey, check it out. I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Well, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. 
Uh, I'm going to go first because fuck you. And I want to talk about. <laughs> That's a fair point. <laughs> <laughs> Can't argue with that. Yeah. You sound uh, bitch. I want to talk about a game called Gato Roboto that I saw doing rounds uh, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, fair to say that it, it piqued my intrigue um, pretty quickly. So uh, Gato Roboto is. It's, it's a Metroidvania is the best way of putting it, but you play as a cat wearing a, a giant robot suit, kind of a la to uh, Samus in, in Metroid. And it's, and it's in a... Uh, the color scheme is two-tone, it's white and it's black, but as you play through the game, you can pick up different uh, color um, palettes as well, So and they're kind of based off of, like, some are based off a of classic game, some are just based off of just... Um, different color palettes so like red and white or red and black um and you, you can just pick them up and play pick the uh, visual style that is most pleasing to you um and i i really like the the visual style um you know it's fair to say that we've pretty much seen everything you can do with pixel art at this point but still seeing a game look as vibrant as it does even though it's only using two colors uh, i think is really impressive uh for, for what that is um you know that and minute last year uh, I just I really like games that look like this, that still manage to fill the screen with a lot of detail and a lot of life, um, and it's it's a real credit to the, the the designers and the animators to make the game feel as alive as it is, uh, considering it's just using two colors. Uh, mechanically and and the the level design layout, it is pretty much a metroid game uh, i can't really say that it's doing anything that you haven't seen done already and it definitely in the uh the axiom verge way of you know very much wearing its influences on its sleeve you know you are in a, a, an alien world the, the the level design and the environments they very much feel like something that you could see out of a metroid game playing on the game boy you know it's it's definitely not doing anything in that department that we haven't seen before um but the thing that it has that i enjoy is the fact that you're playing as a fucking cat in a robot suit and um yeah because you you crash land on the planet and the the uh pilot of the ship uh, it's just him and his cat, and he ends up being injured. So he basically says to the cat, "Hey, you're gonna have to go and find a way to get us out of here." And it's a cat, so obviously his response is "meow." And then throughout the game, every time, <laughs> so they've seen Super Troopers as well, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I know. Right? Yeah, he's playing the meow game, um, and that's it. Every time it responds to anything, it's just meow because obviously it's a cat. Um, but it has a just a, it, it kind of has an element of undertale about it in that it, it does subvert a few things, and it is a bit weird. In that you know the main protagonist and antagonist are all animals, um, and I, I you know, I'm not going to give too much of a spoiler away. Not that you know this game is anything where um, you know the big shock is going to be anything that stuns you, but there is a bit of a shock at the end, and uh, I, I enjoyed it for what it was. And yeah, it's it's definitely nothing that you haven't played before. You know, you have an area, you explore it, you find a trinket or weapon that helps you to explore the next area, and you kind of go on, and as you pick up more weapons, you think back to, oh, there was that part in, like, the first world that I couldn't explore yet. I now have a triple jump or whatever, and now I can go back and explore that area and pick up, and it may just be, like, a color palette or, or whatever, but what I like is games that reward you, even if it's a tiny reward. It doesn't have to be anything major. 
but if they at least give you something for your efforts it incentivizes exploration and i feel like hey there's a point to me doing this um it's when games have loads of dead ends that just don't actually lead to anything that i just think well why am i exploring um but it it does all of that very well and yes a lot of it is because it is very much playing it by the the super metroid rulebook um but i'm fine with that you know i if i get 10 super metroid style games and the difference is purely just the way that it looks and um the story and just the, the kind of visual style that they go for if they're all kind of radically different in that department i'm more than happy to play all of them um you know i'll play hollow knight any time of day i'll play axiom verge i'll play this um you know they're all doing the same thing but they have enough flavor about them visually that um you know i just i can still enjoy them so it's cool it's uh it's pretty cheap i, I don't know how much i, pay. I think it's like six or seven quid on the switch mm. uh and it's only about four hours long um so you know it's not a lengthy game but it's definitely for what it is for how it looks it's uh it's i'd say it's about the right uh length so yeah i i really like gato roboto cool sounds good mate uh, I see you have been playing Tetris 99 still. Have you have you spoken about Tetris? I know Dave has spoken about Tetris 99. Yeah, I spoke. I think I spoke maybe a little about it. I'm not entirely sure whether I was like on the show around the time I was playing it, but I kind of got back into it because I saw um, our special uh, Game of the Year co-host at the Barry Lad uh, on Twitter, if anyone wants to follow him, Barry Murphy, playing tetris 99 um the other day and it just reminded me how much i love tetris 99 so i just got back into playing it it's just yeah it's a blast just playing tetris against other people and yeah i've won quite a few matches so i uh i very much enjoy it it's you know it's one of these where it's like i remember last year when it came down to um tetris effect and there was obviously a lot of argument about whether or not it you know i wanted it to be considered like a game from 1989 to be reconsidered to be considered as like a game of the year candidate and i think it's kind of the same thing here in that i really like this version of tetris but i still think it's tetris so like this year if we were doing like we're doing game of the year i wondered if we if we put it in remakes and remasters but then i feel like we're probably gonna have a potentially tetris game in there like once every couple of years or whatever just from it but yeah it's it's a blast it's a it's a battle royale Tetris game. What more could you like? And if you're shit hot at Tetris, which I am, you know, not to blow my own trumpet, then you uh, you can get a lot out of it. Is it just the one mode? Is it just the the battle royale mode? Yeah, that's it. You just go on and battle royale, and then you've got the option as to, um, so your lines, you you basically use your lines to put lines on other people's uh, screens. So and they will do the same thing to you. Okay, and, so and, yeah, that's that's pretty kind of standard then from yeah, like but, so many other the, Tetris games. But you can select who you attack. So you can individually select like someone's screen if you want, or you can select like one of four options. You can like select to KO somebody, you can select to like randomly attack someone, you can select to attack people who are attacking you which is the only way you can attack more than one person. So if you have three people... But can, you tell, who's, can you tell who's attacking you? Uh, yeah, because it'll, it'll have like... So you've got the central screen where all the lines and stuff are happening and, and you're playing Tetris to the left and to the right and then 98 other people that are playing with you. 
so you can see them on either side and then you so you can decide whether or not you know you can see how many people are attacking you because it'll highlight all their screens and then you can either attack them or like you can choose to if you go ko then it will attack the person that's closest to getting knocked out so that way you get get rid of more people out of the game quicker and stuff and you know if you leave people alone they tend to not attack you but then if someone attacks you then it's always best to select select to attack someone and it's just one of those ones where you just want to build up like a nice cache of blocks and just reserve the the long block and just wait because then someone piles a bunch of like lines on your screen it will tell you initially that it's going to happen then it'll flash red and then it will actually go on so the second that you see something come on there you just want to be able to snap put that one down like get a tetris get rid of all the blocks and then if you switched it to people that are attacking you you then send like four lines their way for them to clear off so yeah it's just basically tetris but it's like a, a siege version of tetris because four or five people could be attacking you at the same time like sometimes it just doesn't matter how good you are there are just so many people coming for you that you just you've got no chance basically yeah. unless you've got like a nice setup where you can get like back to back tetrises or three tetrises and then the advantage is you send blocks like five six different people's way depending on how many people are attacking you but yeah it's difficult to explain it's kind of one of those things where if you have switch online just go download it because it's free and if you enjoy tetris and then you kind of it doesn't really hold your hand at all it's just like here's tetris 99 battle mode you click into it and you're in the game and you kind of just got to figure out where you are from there um, and yeah, I played it a lot when I came over to visit Dave earlier on this year, and I've been playing the hell out of it in the last couple of days as well, just because, yeah, it's it's a great fun, a really good game. See, as someone who uh, constantly has to deal with life throwing the Operation Fuck Mark at him, uh, I feel like I just, I feel like I'd be a magnet for dealing with five or six people just constantly fucking hounding me on any given game of it. Yeah, but sometimes, that's the thing, it's so bizarrely random right some games you i will get to like say 15 or 20 people left and i'll barely have had anyone attack me other games you can go out like 50s 60s not because you're bad at tetris just because everyone seems to attack you and there's no real rhyme or reason to it it only becomes super tactical and becomes about being very smart as to when you you know how you construct your your tetris sort of play area and when you're taking your lines and stuff towards the end of the game when you've got other people attacking you because at that point it's going really fast so if somebody dumps a back-to-back tetris on you you're getting eight blocks on your screen unless you can dump a back-to-back tetris straight back so you just have to kind of roll with the punches really so yeah it's uh it, it will happen to you mark you will go out like early but then you might get to another game where you get to like the 20s and then you might get to another game where you finish second and then you might be out 70th so yeah i mean it, that's that's battle royale games in general in fairness so it is it is but yeah i'm, I'm not particularly great at first person shooters or even third person shooters in, in the case of the very popular battle royale games at the moment so yeah. i greatly enjoy being able to do that in in tetris and yeah I, I don't think Dave or, or Barry will probably agree, but then I will put this in the, in a sort of remake, remaster category of the year because I think it is. It's just a remastered version uh, of the see, original Tetris. I don't know. It, it's just, for me, I, I kind of qualify it as just it's Tetris, but with 
a you know a mode of it bolted on. Um, I would excuse me. I'm about to sneeze. <laughs> I would I would consider um, just from the brief amount of time that I've spent looking at Tetris Effect. Uh, sorry, uh, Tetris ninety nine. I consider Tetris Effect more of a, a remaster or a remake than a Tetris ninety nine. Yeah, it's just a different spin on it. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I, a... I I still haven't got my Switch Online subscription yet because uh, the one thing that I was hoping for, which was you know uh, a decent library of NES games or whatever, or just you know anything from that era SNES uh, of games to come along, and and Nintendo have um, quite firmly told us to go fuck ourselves at the moment when it comes to that. So um, you know I'm not quite ready to shell over twenty quid to play Balloon Party or Ice Climbers. So. Have you seen the thumbs? Every time they announce a new SNES game now, have you just, this, the thumbs down just gets more and more in each video. Yeah, I saw uh, Sterling had a video about that, and um, I can't remember what this month's or last month's game was, but it was just like, what the fuck is this? Um, so yeah, they they need to work on that. Yeah, I, I've I've ranted about it many times. They're sitting on a goddamn gold mine. So. Um, that is it for what we have been playing. Uh, I do have uh, Cadence of Hyrule, which I uh, completed over the weekend, but I'll wait till next week to talk about that. Um, but I have uh, a number of things I want to talk about that, and I want to go back and play a little bit more and do a few other things. So uh, with that, let us move on to the news. News on the mark! Jack Lazell, it has been a very controversial week in the world of Pokemon as it has been established that the new Pokemon mainline games, Sword and Shield, will be the first games not to support every single Pokemon species. Um, as noted in, on Eurogamer, not only will you not be able to, able to catch them all on Sword and Shield, uh, you will not be able to transfer Pokemon outside of the game's regional Pokedex. Sword and Shield will push the series' overall, overall Pokemon count to over 1,000 Pokemon, and developer Game Freak has said that this marks a tipping point where catching them all may simply never be possible again. Uh, Game Freak producer uh, Junichi Masuda told Famitsu that the total number of Pokemon has exceeded 1,000, including new Pokemon and the various forms of existing Pokemon. As a result, it has become extremely difficult to make Pokemon with a new personality play an active part and to balance their compatibility. Um, on top of that as well, obviously, the the amount of work that is required from a, an artistic point of view to create um, the Pokemon for the new game and all of the animations and um, all of the moves that a Pokemon can learn to have them have an animation for all those moves. It, it is kind of insane the amount of work that would have to go into them. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, we are, we've played pretty much every mainline Pokemon game and, and we, I feel, are pretty qualified to talk about this and uh, I'm curious to know what you think about this, Jack. Here's the thing. I think that I initially was disappointed because I was like, oh, I can't believe, like, what is the point? Like, when your catchphrase is, gotta catch them all, <laughs> if you can't actually get every single Pokemon in the game. But then I thought real long and hard about this, and I thought to myself, have I ever actually done that? <laughs> and I and I thought, other than the original 151, and I think I, 
I think I got 250 on gold and silver and then didn't get whatever. Was it Celebi? The the little green sprite Celebi. That's um, the one that's Pokemon. unobtainable, I think. Yeah, yeah, I didn't get that uh, on there. So I don't think I've ever actually got every single poke because like they gated away the legendaries and it's like to, 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 on some games to the point where if it was like unless you were in fucking japan you know and you could take your you could take your ds or whatever into a poker center and you know upload it or whatever or some weird like one time for three days we just gave it away on our you know poker channel and you get the pokemon and like once you've missed that the only way to get it is through slightly shady, not quite legal methods of, of creating Pokemon on, on PCs, plugging your SD card in and then plugging your game back in. Like, There's no other way of doing it. So in theory, I don't agree with it. I don't think it's great. But in reality, who does that? Not many people. Because you'd have to keep all the legendaries that you have, you have to keep up upscaling them and upscaling them and upscaling them through it. But if it's not going to support the one, not going to support all Pokemon, like what Pokemon isn't it going to support? Is the interesting question. Yeah, that's the thing. Is um, how do you make the balancing act of deciding which Pokemon will actually be in the game? And you end up with the situation where a lot of people are going to be disappointed because it could be a Pokemon that they just simply enjoy using or they enjoy having in their team. Um, it could be a Pokemon that they have had for you know the last two games that they want to transfer over because it's it's just as valuable member of their team or whatever, and um, you know they now just they can't use that Pokemon uh, and and they kind of reach a dead end with that and that's that's a real shame and and I you know no, I can't really talk for the 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 esports scene uh, when it comes to Pokemon and the, the competitive scene, but um, I wonder if that means that this simply just isn't a game that will get used in the competitive scene uh, because if you can't use all the Pokemon, are, are people just gonna uh, or you know the the whatever official tournaments they have, or they just kind of use Sun and Moon as the or or Ruby and Sapphire as like the the endpoint there because obviously it gives you a, a wider breadth of, of Pokemon that you can use. Um, and you know, if we start seeing Pokemon like fucking Trubbish or Klefki or whatever uh, junk Pokemon in in Sword and Shield, then that's that's going to be disappointing. And I made the point on on Twitter the other day, and I know you saw it that I'd have been perfectly fine if they just took the route and depending on where the game was set just you know did the whole sun and moon thing of of making variants of that Pokemon that. Uh, were similar in style to the the settings they were in, and and I really really liked a lot of the, the yeah. kind of Hawaiian variants that we saw in Sun and Moon. I fucking I love the Raichu that could surf in its own tail. I thought the the Executor uh, was just. Uh, I mean, that was a touch of genius. I know, right? The um, memes that came from that as well were just yeah. so much fun. And so you could do a lot of stuff with that, and and. Depending on where yeah. they wanted to set each of the games, you could do you could do that, and I think that would be a selling point going forward. Of just having loads of Pokemon that have their own different variant of them, and maybe they can learn a couple of different moves, um, and that way you know you can still keep the balancing act. And it's 
I'm not saying it's a perfect um, situation, but you know, I'm pretty sure when Game Freak were making Pokemon way back when, they didn't think they'd be get to a point where they'd have a thousand Pokemon they'd have to contend with, and that is a, an insane balancing act. You know, for anyone who isn't, anyone who just has a kind of a, a brief understanding of what Pokemon is, the actual like game mechanics and the battle mechanics are incredibly complex and. Um, you know, you the, the time that you can spend putting a team of six together, you can take so much into consideration between um, the, what is it, like, like 17 or 18 different type of Pokemon, I can't remember the exact number, but, you know, like, trying to get uh, a team that covers all bases, so you have fire and water and ghost and fairy and dark and electric and all of those considered but then making sure that you've got you know a bot enough um bulk bulky pokemon you know making sure you don't have too many glass cannons making sure that you just have everything covered um you end up in a case where you need to have you know about six different teams ready to go that uh, certainly if you're playing on a competitive level that you can cover all of those bases and that you can take someone by surprise because you might think that they're going to have a team that are more uh, attack orientated but have no defense so if you like if you have a faster team and you can get your hits in first and take their team out then you know you're good to go so uh, yeah I, I am disappointed by it um i don't know what the right answer is i don't think there is a right answer um and yeah. they're going to continue to make continue to make Pokemon games because they make more coin than they make a ridiculous amount of money. Um, you know what? I honestly think that maybe this is, should have been the point where they just went, all right, online MMO Pokemon game, that's it. This is our final stand, and we'll have this, you know, going forward as the uh, the one thing that we have. And then obviously over time we can add new Pokemon if and when. And that way we can just focus on a couple of Pokemon at a time to establish how we'll incorporate them into the game and that way um, maybe that's what they need to do next is just you know we need just the one pokemon game going forward that we can just update incrementally maybe i mean like they so in sun and moon they had the alolan pokedex didn't they so every game every pokemon that you could obtain in sun and moon were in that pokedex and then like when you completed the game you unlocked like the wider pokedex that you could add to and i think they probably just do the same in sword and shield but then maybe they just don't have that wider pokedex maybe you can only catch like five six hundred of them in the game and i think it's fair enough because there's bound to be like a bunch of legendaries that you're not going to be able to get in there anyway so yeah it is what it isn't i think but until we have more information as to what you can and can't catch uh, I think I'm just going to keep them because there's bound to be someone that's upset that you can't catch a Trubbish or some shit. Yeah, I mean, I know we're both buying it because you can uh, use a giant fucking Pikachu, and I want to do that. And I want to, I want a giant Jigglypuff that I can do double slap with. So you know, we know, we know that the ultimate conclusion of this is the giant Waylord. <laughs> I want that Waylord to be so effing big that you can't actually see anything else on the screen I, it was just this dumb dot happy face i i it's... saw um i saw a picture someone drew the other day and it was a giant uh rowlet and there was a tiny grudon next to it or like a normal sized grudon but like the rowlet was so big that it you could only see like the bottom half of his body and it was just think about the direction of how they drew that picture that was uh, yep 
but I want that with a waylord. Like I, I want that to be so big, and the camera to zoom out so far that you don't actually know what's going on. <laughs> just like, just, just seriously, like unapologetic levels of huge. Just because the waylord is meant to be like what fucking fifty times bigger than your average Pokemon anyway. So like the giant version of it should. I think conservatively be the same size as um, United Arab Emirates. Yeah, yeah. I want a giant Waylord and like a giant Onyx or something, and just you know. Oh, just... Onyx! Oh my god! God, that looked like huge. Anyway, do you remember that oh, the Pokemon um, in the at the anime? There was the episode where they had all of the weird ancient Pokemon that turned up, and there was a giant Gengar and a giant Alakazam and the giant. Al- I don't remember the that episode. So the giant Alakazam's mustache terrified me when I was like 11 or 12 watching it. I was like, why is it so big? Look at his horrible curly mustache. See, the thing I was thinking of was in the film, the uh, giant, what the fuck is the, the grass Pokemon? It's one of the starter Pokemon. It's final Bulbasaur. Evolve. No, no, no. The, the final evolved form of one of the later games where, you know, they've made them so big that they're like actual fucking continents that move around. Oh, uh, oh, what, in the um, Pokemon Detective Pikachu? In the film, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, what are those things called? They're Torterra. Torterra, that's, that's called, one, yeah. yeah. That is awesome, by the way. Yeah. That is really, really cool. And and the thing is, I can't complain because they finally, they have a Corgi Pokemon on the way. So, as far as I'm concerned, I, I, I have no issues with them taking this approach, but... Um, yeah. yeah, and the only thing they get to confirm is whether or not we are going to get Gregs in the game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because pretty fucking important. Anyway, Do you know what would have been amazing is you know after they did the Watchdog announcement, if they were just like Pokemon Sword and Shield is going to be set in a post-Brexit version of Britain. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, people would be fuming. Okay, we're moving on. Shenmue Three Dev is listening to fan concerns about Epic Game Store exclusivity. Uh, Shenmue 3 developer uh, Yeastnet uh, insists it is listening to fan concerns and will assess the situation and together find a way forward to justify the trust you placed in us once it's back in the office after E3. Uh, the situation, of course, was last week's confirmation that the eagerly anticipated sequel had been locked into a timed PC exclusive on the Epic Games Store. Emotions were further heightened when uh, Wisenet uh, and its publishing part of Deep Silver also confirmed that refunds will not be granted for those upset the game will not be coming to Steam at the same time. Uh, so, I mean, this it begins. is... Yeah, yeah, this is a thing that we're probably going to see more of, and uh, I think the fact that it's Shenmue 3 and it's a, a long-awaited game uh, certainly adds more fuel to the fire. Um, for me personally, uh, I don't really see what the issue is. It's not like these people can't play the game. Uh, they just have to download a different client. Uh, you know, you're still playing on a fucking PC, but I imagine that I don't know how the, the, the pre-orders work exactly. If you can qualify to, to play the Epic game version, I'm not sure. Um, but I mean, it was on Kickstarter, so I guess that maybe that, that plays into it. Um, and, and you know, obviously Steam players have their achievements, and it's just where they have all their games, so I can kind of understand wanting to have all of them in place, but still, at the same time, it is just literally downloading a launcher and playing it that way. But, yeah, I'm sure we'll see plenty more of this, uh, and I think that it's, it's more because it is Shenmue 3, and because of how long we've been waiting for it, 
Yeah. I don't mean me and Jack because uh, I don't really think we care about Shenmue. Um, but for those uh, who do care, it's they're, if they're... it's good. Like when a game like that comes out that I'm not necessarily like you know sort of frothing at the the mouth to play, and I get and it gets good reviews. That does always make me go, oh right, okay. So maybe I will get to that. Yeah, like, but as as Jeff Gerstmann once said, it's just a fucking forklift simulator. So. Mm, yeah, I know. Well, my old man used to drive a forklift, so I feel like it's in the family. <laughs> it's in the family DNA. Maybe, maybe it's the game for you. Then I'd never realised that. Yeah, like if you could get bus driving simulator as well. Now my dad's a bus driver. <laughs> there you go. Well, I mean, what we've got, we've got train simulator. We have um, actually there was flight a, flight simulator. Flight simulator yeah. there, was actually, there was a game that came out not too long ago, pretty pretty recently. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but you drive a bus around Paris, and it's basically Snake, but with a bus, and it's in three D. And uh, you know, as you're driving around, you can eventually you get to the point where you see actually the back end of your bus because it's getting that long, and it basically plays like Snake. Uh, and that looked pretty cool, but obviously not an actual simulator of bus is that driving. What, um, is that what inspired Boris to get the old bendy buses in London? No, a fuck ton of cocaine was that. <laughs> hey, that's our future Prime Minister you're talking about. Shh, please. <laughs> oh, dear. And this is yeah. why, well, this is not why I live in Ireland, but it's not why I'm not coming home. Anyway. We miss you. It looks like The Last of Us 2 is set for February 2020. Uh, when asked about the hotly anticipated Naughty Dog sequel uh, when it was coming out in a recent interview, Ashley Johnson, who plays Ellie, sounds like she attempts to reply with February, uh, but she's interrupted by the interviewer as she's mouthing the fair. Skip to the. Oh, uh, there's a video on Eurogamer, so you can have a look at it. Uh, this tallies with a tweet from Kotaku's Jason Schreier, who said a couple of weeks ago that the, uh, the Last of Us 2 got bumped from fall 2019 to early 2020, possibly February. How um, many games are coming out in like the first half of 2020? Uh, well, you've got Death Stranding in November, I think. Uh, no, I know, but like in the first in the first half of 2020, I feel like every single game announcement for a future game was the first half of 2020. Yeah, because like Final Fantasy VII is first half, isn't it as well? Yeah, because everybody wants me to be really poor <laughs> in 2020, so they want me to buy all of the video games, Cyberpunk. 77's coming out in twenty, the first bit of 2020 as well. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be gnarly, dude. Well, on the flip side, I don't out? think there's like a lot coming out uh, at the, the tail end of this year, so I think you can compensate a little bit there for the money that's uh, not spent. Do you know what? I'm already think I'm already concerned about what my game of the year is because I don't really have an outstanding candidate for it at the moment. Uh, mine is Ape Out at the moment. Do you know what? I, I kind of feel like I have to agree with that. Because Ape Out is fucking dope. In terms of like the whole aesthetic and everything and, and, and like it just being a really sort of... I've never played anything like Ape Out before, put it like that, right? Yeah. It, I mean, did you it, play Hotline Miami? Because it's the closest comparison, but... It... Visually, yes. No, but, but even like the top-down gameplay style, it, it has elements of Hotline Miami, but the difference but you... is, is that Hotline Miami is kind of more like a puzzle in, in a way because the, the enemy layout is the exact same every time and the actual level layout is the same every time. Um, so you kind of go into this looping effect of just playing the same bit over and over again until you figure out the AI patterns where Ape Out is just... Mayhem. It's just fucking mayhem, yeah. Every it, time. 
it's it, it, it acts more like a roguelike, but it's not an exact roguelike. Yeah. The fact that you're a gorilla, and when you smash people into the wall with said gorilla, it makes a jazzy symbol crash. Yeah, I, that game... It means that it should be game of the year. Yeah, so that, that game on a number of levels, just it ticks all of my boxes. Uh, so, yeah. yeah um, it's fantastic. That's, I, I guess you we know are, what? I was going to say, we are halfway through the year, so it is kind of like thinking about, okay, what have I played this year, and what the fuck do I need to play in the next six months? Yeah. I think it was like at this point for me last year, it might have even been Far Cry Five. So, <laughs> depending on when stuff came it's out, fair enough so, to yeah. say that uh, things can definitely change between now and then. They fucking well did, because in the end, I realised how painfully average it was compared to the great games that came. Uh-huh. Oh no, God of War was out early part of last year, so it was it yes. was probably Dad of War. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we've got Mario Maker coming up, and um, I think Link, the Link's Awakening remake. Yeah, my um, friend sh- Pedro. My friend Pedro. Oh, yeah, I am so much fun. I am very much looking forward to that. I still need to play Devil May Cry Five. I said I was going to do that two weeks ago and didn't, so uh, yeah. I want to do that. I'm kind of curious by the the Final Fantasy VIII remake because I've never played it before. Oh, it's so good. I'm. I, I think this is the time where I'm going to actually dive into that. And uh, yeah, and it's yeah. it's purely just because. Randomly on my Spotify, uh, the man with the machine gun came on, and I was like, "Well, this bangs. I guess I need to play this then." Yeah, um, what an absolute, what a tune that is. And you know what? If you and I'm not saying they did, but if you go and listen to the song "Papillon" by Editors, who like their third record, they went from sort of like Sturm and Drang, sort of like low key indie, to like weird electronica. The man with the machine gun from the Final Fantasy VIII soundtrack sounds an awful lot like Papillon by Editors. So, yeah. Because I know, Mark, you um, you sent us in the, our group chat, and I'd advise anyone to go and look this up the other day, all of the video game uh, music themes that have been ripped off <laughs> by, uh, by various people that work. Although, sorry, all of their actual songs that have been ripped off by people that make music for video games. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it was just, hey, look at this, Doom ripped off Metallica, or what a surprise. Yeah, pretty much. But yeah, Yeah. there was some really interesting stuff in there that I was like, what? Like Journey. Like, someone had taken, like, a piano riff from Journey and just recreated it in 8-bit and put it in their game because it was the 80s and it was kind of cowboy territory. But yeah, I'm like, I, I know it obviously wouldn't have inspired editors to write that song but it really does sound you like never it. know yeah balm garden music is my happy place i could listen to that on an infinite loop and it would just make me feel like everything was going to be okay forever well hopefully uh on on an upcoming episode or maybe in a tweet uh we'll be able to share some exciting news in regards to final fantasy so stay tuned for Ooh, that yes final fantasy fans mm-hmm. as I can tell you, as a Final Fantasy fan, I'm extremely excited for what we've got coming up. Yeah, uh, it's something that we can finally do, because we now have someone on the show who knows what the fuck they're talking about when it comes to Final Fantasy. Yep, I know my score from Muzzadan. They were just words to me. Moving on. Of course, (laughs) Watch Dogs Legion has made it onto the BBC. Uh, Watch Dogs Legion was unveiled this week at E3, set in a post-Brexit Britain. Uh, it deals with themes of civil unrest, the surveillance state, and from the looks of things, dodgy London accents. Uh, inevitably, uh, Ubisoft's latest open world adventures caught the attention of the mainstream media. Uh, today, the BBC's uh, Politics Live show featured a segment on Watch Dogs Legion, asking the question, does it offer a realistic portrayal of our future? 
the segment began with a film based on an interview with Legion's creative director Clint Hocking who said the team were already a year and a half into the development and had settled on the London location when the Brexit vote happened. Uh, Brexit in our game is not the cause of the problems with the the site depicting in the game world, Hocking insists in the interview. Uh, the causes of Brexit are the causes of the problems in our world, that's really how we address it. Uh, after a brief discussion on, on COD Modern Warfare and the security portrayal of terrorist attacks in London, the segment switches back to the studio panel who discussed Watch Dogs Legion. Uh, so, <coughs> unfortunately, uh, one of the people on this panel was uh, noted moron Toby Young uh, from The Spectator. <laughs> Uh, who is, as you'd expect, if anyone knows who he is, uh, very dismissive of Legion's post-Brexit dystopian uh, London. He says, as a Brexit supporter, the temptation is to become outraged they're portraying Brexit as being such a disaster when actually, no, so far, no disaster has materialised. Which, I mean, if you've read anything about anything to do with Brexit since uh, it was first announced, uh, that is complete hot trash. Um, but there you go. And yeah, I, I know I'm sure we're going to be seeing more about this um, certainly when the game is released. And to be quite honest, the only thing of any merit at this point that needs to be discussed is the fact that the accents are just fucking absurd. And I am so <laughs> annoyed that you got that point for being as spot on. Like the most spot on prediction of E3 was that, and I'm, I give you that reward. Um, the first thing was like, oh, bloody hell, yeah. is coming in. I was like, okay, so Ubisoft have watched tapes of Ray Winston and Danny Dyer for the last fucking six months. Yeah. yeah. The granny is fantastic, though. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, trust me, I am really curious by that game. And um, I think one of the things that made it one of the winners of E3 is that it actually just gave some fucking, like, actual gameplay footage that we could look at. Yeah, you know? we actually saw someone playing a game, which was very three standards, not great. The so the only thing that I want to say before, like, if you want to discuss the game a little bit more, but I don't want to talk about Brexit. Oh my god! I oh, don't no, want to no, talk about that. Hell no. We what we don't talk about to... Trump in this show, and we're definitely not talking about Brexit. The 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 thing that I find very odd, right, is if somebody makes something like as a joke as a, a, a sort of weird dystopian or like as a piece of art as a weird dystopian version of the future why is anyone commenting on that when it's fictional to, to quote ben affleck from the start of jay and silent bob right it's fictional characters okay who cares yeah you want to set it in post-brexit this like there have been games set in, like, you know, versions of World War Two, World War One, and all these wars that are, like, completely fucking different, filled with anachronisms and historical inaccuracies. But it's a video game. It's art. It's it's there to be silly. Like, did, you know, anyone, was anyone pissed off when they, like, shot Hitler to death in Inglorious Bastards and being like, well, that's not what really happened. No, because it's a wacky movie. It's a wacky video game. Is post-Brexit Britain going to look like that dystopian thing where you control a fucking drone to attack people in Camden Lock? No, it probably isn't, right? But this is a video game with fictional characters. Why are they commenting on it as if it's like a serious political statement? Have they just run out of topics? What the fuck, man? <laughs> yeah, I mean, my, my issue I always have is when... They make a game, the Division 2 being the best one, like, you know, it's setting a, a 
not say a post-apocalyptic uh, Washington DC and, and deals with the government and yeah it's got nothing to do with politics whatsoever and it's like I yes it does and I, I'd be really curious to, to watch the, the language of Ubisoft and uh, Watch Dogs Legion and see how much they kind of like shy away from saying about oh it's not really about politics it's like it's about Brexit so it really fucking is so yeah but it's a get it's a game no, like, of course it is a game. Even though, yes, it is a game. And I'm not saying that it is entirely making a political statement. That... No, but it's not It's not apolitical. Nothing is apolitical. Like, everything no. is making some sort of statement. But it is not making the statement, this is what it's going to be like. It is making the statement, of course, here, is a, here is a wacky, over-the-top version of the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, that... it's, it's no more... I... <laughs> It's more grounded in, in realism than, say, you know, like a steampunk setting where, hey, here's the future, but in this setting, uh, everything um, is still powered by steam. Or I, I guess you could use Wolfenstein as an example of like, hey, I here's... I will, yeah. Yeah, if, if the, not, the Nazis won. Um, I will interrupt you, though, and say that I do hope we have cyberpunk's version of the future where we have a robot Keanu Reeves. <laughs> that is all I'm going to tell you. I just hope we get a cyberpunk film with a robotic uh, Keanu Reeves, although oh that probably is just cyberpunk the game. Um, goodness me, Mark. There's a there's a film, right, called Always Be My Maybe that came out on Netflix at the start of this month, and it features Keanu Reeves as the most insane whirlwind version of himself that ends up dating Randall Park as, like, the, the, the male... One of the male... Well, he's the male lead of the movie, and Ali Wong is the female lead, and the, she, he, Keanu Reeves ends up dating Ali Wong, and there's a good 10-minute segment where it's just nothing but a tour de force of just Keanu times a thousand, and my word, does it need to be observed? Even if you don't watch the rest of the movie, Keanu as Keanu is just quite the thing to behold. He is having a banner year, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, don't know. I am. I'm curious to see just what this game is and and yeah. what the just what the story is, I guess. And, and it looks fun, though, right? I mean, it, it does. Looks silly it does. And... Yeah. Yeah. I I haven't played either the first two Watch Dogs games. Um, I have enough people that uh, I respect within uh, parts of, of the gaming uh, industry that uh, swear by Watch Dogs Two as actually being a very good game. So. Uh, this might be where I jump in with, with the series. Yeah. And you know what? If Ubisoft are making a political statement with this game, then at least come out and say what you're doing. <laughs> Either you're like, nah, it's just a silly game, or we're just trying to have fun. Or you go, actually, no, this is what it's going to be like, so I hope you all start learning how to control drone spiders as soon as possible. Because you're all fucked, Britain. Us I... in France, we will look and we will laugh at you. I would just be curious to see uh, Toby Young's review of it in the Spectator when it comes out. So yeah. they're going to build a wall around Jersey and Guernsey and make us pay for it, Mark. Those goddamn French Ubisoft types! How dare they? Then the uh, final news story this week: uh, Nintendo details uh, Splatoon 2's last ever Splatfest coming in July. Oh. So, the Splatsocalypse, as the event will be known, has been scheduled to coincide with Splatoon 2's two-year anniversary. Say that four times, five times. Uh, as such, interested parties will be uh, hoisting nozzles and letting rip from Thursday the 18th of July. Uh, proceedings begin at 1pm in the UK and continue to 1pm on Sunday 21st of July. 
Out of context, that's a very odd sentence, isn't it? Yeah, I know, right. Uh, as this is goodbye, Nintendo will be introducing a new shifty station stage, as well as wheeling out all 23 special nighttime version of existing stages introduced as part of previous Splatfests, and those will be on rotation throughout the weekend. Um, and you might be wondering exactly what we're we fighting for. So on one side, uh, it will be uh, championing chaos, while the other side will be uh, championing order. So that is uh, what this final Splatfest will be. Um, Political statement. <laughs> yeah, I know, right. Well, <laughs> hey, hey, the over and under on what way you have the loo roll is as much of a political statement as anything as well. So, Oh, yeah, that can come to blows. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so this is the last one. Uh, Splatoon 2 is... Uh, we did uh, the, book, the book club on Splatoon um, the, a couple of weeks ago. And, and I stand by Splatoon and definitely Splatoon 2 as being just fucking phenomenal games. And I'm so so happy that uh, Splatoon 2 has had both the the uh, the support behind it uh, at launch, but the continued support uh, from both people playing it and also Nintendo sticking behind it and, and adding content to the game. Uh, we had last week uh, the servers for ARMS were dropped, so... Um, oh, yeah, what... it was the last big ARMS event, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, so... Actually, I don't know if it's, uh, the, the servers are down, but certainly, like, in terms of um, support and content for that game, we're now done with ARMS. Um... I, saw, I saw an article that had a title along the lines of the greatest game ever just had its last big public... Yes. Um, public outing and no one cares you awful awful people or yeah, something yeah. like that and i looked immediately at the bylines checked that it wasn't written by david ryan himself <laughs> 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 because it just sounds like something that would come directly out of his mouth i don't think i've met a man who's ever been higher on arms than than him uh, arms is great in fairness i very much enjoyed my time playing it with him um but yeah splatoon 2 two years of it uh, i think that you can only put down to being uh, a ginormous success and uh, bring on Splatoon 3, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, no. absolutely. So we are done with the news this week, which means we have only one final thing to do, and that is to do our book club feature. Uh, we have done a number of games in the Legend of Zelda series, uh, but this is the one that I think is definitely one of the... It's weird to say whether it's the most underrated one because uh, everyone that has played it swears by it as being one of the, the, the best in the series uh, other than Dan Reichert, who is a monster. Um, but it's... Yeah, but didn't he say that Mario Sunshine was the best Mario yeah, game? Yeah, he's, he's, he's a fucking nightmare. And he thinks that Terminator 3 is better than Terminator 1. So, you know, whatever. Terminator 1 could fucking happen, man. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, this week, uh, as we have at some point in the near future, the uh, Link's Awakening remake on the way, which will definitely be the best-looking game of 2019, it is time to go back to 1993 and talk about The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening.
The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening is a 1993 action-adventure game developed and published by Nintendo for the Game Boy. It was the first installment in the Legend of Zelda series for a handheld game console. Link's Awakening began as a port of the Super NES game The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past, developed after hours by Nintendo staff. Imagine doing that on your off time. It grew into an original project under the direction of Takashi Tezuka, with a script and story created by Yakashi uh, Kazumi and Kenzuki Tanabe. It is one of the few Zelda games not to take place in the land of Hyrule, and does not feature Princess Zelda or the Triforce Relic. Instead, protagonist Link begins the game stranded on Koholan Island, a place guarded by a well-like deity called the Windfish. Assuming the role of Link, the player fights monsters and solves puzzles while searching for eight musical instruments that will awaken the sleeping Windfish and allow him to escape from the island. And with that, I'm just going to take a little sip of water. <laughs> Fair enough. I've got, I've got to admit, I'm already liking the idea of the Windfish. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, um... I first of all, I want to clarify with you uh, which games in the series have you played? Because I know you're not as obviously up um, compared to me and Dave, but I know you have some experience with Legend of Zelda. Yes, I do. I have played Breath of the Wild. I have played uh, Majora's Mask, Ocarina of Time. I have played A Link to the Past a little bit, uh, and I have. I've seen a lot of the other games be played by other people, um, but I have not. I have not dabbled in Link's Awakening, which okay, is cool. quite, which is quite surprising considering I had a Game Boy sort of around the mid to late nineties, and I played a hell of a lot of uh, games that were available, but I never got the Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening bought for me. In fact, if it was, I probably would be a, a much bigger Zelda fan mm. than I am now. I think so. Uh, for this book club feature, my uh, experience that I'm talking about is specifically on the uh, Game Boy Color version called Link's Awakening DX, um, yeah. because that was my actual introduction to having a, a Game Boy. Was the actual Game Boy Color uh, because I had that and Pokemon Silver, which that was a good time. Um, I mean, realistically. Does it get much better than that? Like, did video gaming peak at, at that point in your life? If I, you've got Link's Awakening I and spent, Pokemon Silver. I spent all of that Christmas. I pretty much, from the moment I turned my Game Boy Color on on Christmas Day, uh, I didn't put it down until the batteries run out because I was just having the time of my wondrous teenage life. Well, I was a teenager at the point. I was probably about 11 or 12. Um, anyway, well, maybe younger. Anyway, uh, so, The Legend of Zelda, Link's Awakening. Uh, yeah, it's the, the first handheld in the series. Um, by this point, we'd had uh, the original Legend of Zelda. We had Legend of Zelda 2. Uh, we had uh, A Link to the Past. Uh, and now we have this. Uh, <laughs> A Link to the Past was the first book club feature that we did um one of the greatest games of all time and you will not hear there is no way you can convince me otherwise uh the links i Aw will not argue with you it is a fantastic game the links uh links awakening is a pretty damn follow-up slash kind of port of the greatest game of all time for the original game boy uh, as mentioned, this is the first game in the series to uh, not have anything to do with Princess Zelda or the Triforce Relic. And in, in regards to all of that, it's kind of... Uh, it has a little bit of the Majora's Mask about it. And um, in that, you know, if people know about Majora's Mask but don't know about Link's Awakening, you know, very much just it's its off-brand game from the main series. It's kind of doing its own thing. It has elements of what you expect from a Zelda game, but 
you know, it doesn't have Zelda, it doesn't have Ganon, it doesn't do any of that kind of stuff. And that makes it a little bit weird. Um, part of that is that, um, spoiler alert, uh, Link has been sleeping the whole time. And so this whole kind of story is taking place in his head. And certainly when you get to the end of the game, you realize that this this game has a little bit more of a kind of a... a the dreamlike feel to it, I guess, is the best way of putting it. Uh, and you definitely kind of realize that when you get to, to the end of the mm. game. So, hey, just spoiled the game for you. So the whole game is a dream? The whole game is a dream. Like, which is, has kind of become a trope now. It in, certainly uh, has. It, as in a trope for, like, badness. Like, every time something happens that's bad in a show and that is, like, going to be like, oh, is this person just going to wake up and it's all been a dream? Yeah. But I guess in the sort of early 90s, it, it hadn't reached, like, peak trope levels of that yet. So I guess it was kind of still halfway acceptable. Yeah. Um, it, it plays along the same lines as what you'd expect a, a, a top-down Zelda game to do. So, you know, you have your... Uh, your rooms that you traverse from left to right, up and down from, um, it, you know, it doesn't add, add anything that you haven't kind of seen there before at this point. Uh, it does reintroduce the uh, side scrolling, not side scrolling, but certainly the 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 plane that you can walk along. Um, you can go from left to right in regards to that in certain parts of uh, dungeons. Um, one of the interesting things about it is it does uh, feature different characters from uh, other Nintendo games. So, for example, the Chain Chomp is in this game, uh, mm. as, as well as Goombas uh, in certain Ooh. dungeons. Yeah. Uh, which... I had no idea about that. Yeah, yeah. And actually, if I don't know if you saw the trailer for the, the new game, but you can see Chain Chomp in that. He's... Uh, is a character that you can. Uh, he he's basically a mechanic uh, or a puzzle element that you have to use to get into a specific dungeon. Um, yeah, such a big fan of I of Chain Chomp that I have his head on a beach ball, uh, poised in in the top corner of my room, so it kind of looks like he's breaking into my room. Excellent. <laughs> One of my favourite memories is because they gave that out for free in a Nintendo magazine. I want to say two thousand and five, right? And I'm sat at the at the back of just where everybody started to stand at reading so like i'm just sat there and i just see like a, a ball just like bouncing along like a black ball and it sort of bounced and it bounced and it came closer and closer and i could see that it was a chain chomp from like maybe 20 30 yards away and it just bounced and it rolled and it stopped right at my feet with its like chain chomp face just staring up at me and i died laughing what what a memory um one of the things about the game that I was um, making a similar point to uh, Gato Roboto earlier is yeah. how the game looks considering, certainly, you know, at the time on the Game Boy, it has a, a monochrome graphic style. Um, it includes just a real, uh, an incredible amount of, of detail. Um, and I would say for anyone that wants to play it, definitely the the, the wit. DX version is the way to go because it does add a little bit more color. Um, it does just kind of bring everything a little bit more to life and it's just easier to define what certain things are because as with the Game Boy in general, when you're dealing with two colors and certainly for that period of, of time uh, in uh, in the land of technology, it, sometimes things visually on the Game Boy don't look as clear as they could be, but the, the DX version definitely cleaned a lot of that up. Um, 
and that has me you know just fascinated to see what this new version is going to be look like and how it just it creates everything uh in in the presentation that this new link's awakening is going for so what you end up with is uh this game that it i'm not going to say it's like a parody of other zelda games but it definitely just has this weird thing that it just it doesn't it feels like another company that isn't nintendo were making this like um some uh, some pirate developer got access to certain parts of the code and just decided to make their own version and that's why you know there's like goombas and um piranha plants and uh you know just other characters from other nintendo games are in there um it also has uh, elements of the the fourth wall being broken uh mm. we have like children uh, informing the player of like game mechanics such as saving um but it also has like the kind of quirky uh humor that you find in stuff like undertale where they don't actually understand what the advice is that they're giving um that they're like hey this is how you save the game i don't actually know what that means uh and it's it's you know zelda games are very much there's not really a lot of they're very dry uh, to a certain degree like you have the the odd moments of humor but they're very po-faced uh so this game very much breaks from that uh, and it's it's very welcome uh, and i actually wish it's something that the zelda games would do a little bit more of uh, yeah which... you can see that from like the sprite the the remaster version that's coming out like the way they've ordered the sprites and stuff it just looks like a bundle of joy yeah and i think that's one of the things that me and dave uh like a lot about wind waker is that it's the first game where it really just it doesn't take itself too seriously like you know all this nonsense about oh he's the hero of time he's destined to be the hero and it's like no no there's here's a festival that happens and his grandma is just making him wear uh basically cosplay to link and it's yeah anyway wind waker's great so um it has the first game where you have the ability to jump, which is really weird because obviously uh, Legend of Zelda, you know, uh, certainly with the uh, 3D games, there is no jump button. Uh, you jump by just basically walking up to the edge of um, whatever platform and then you kind of run off and you do a jump that way. So it's it's really weird to jump in a, in a Zelda game, um, which sounds kind of mad when you think about you know mario being the game that you jump in um but it's just it's not something that you do in zelda games so it's always weird when i come back to it and like oh yeah i have to i have to have this item on but with this item i can jump and it always kind of throws me off and it adds um you know different layers to uh, the the puzzle mechanics that you can do in in link's awakening um and I think overall, the thing that I find it incredible about Link's Awakening is just how packed, how condensed that game is for, you know, the time. Um, because obviously Link to the Past at that point was was massive, um, but it was on the Super Nintendo. Uh, but Link's Awakening is just as compact and, and just as dense with uh, ideas and dungeons and uh, a, a world to explore. And uh, part of that is that it is it has elements of being a port in some ways, but it is still its own game. But the fact that it manages to get all of that onto a Game Boy cartridge, uh, I think, is a really incredible feat for uh, the the Game Boy at the time as well. Where, let's be honest, you know, the most notable games aren't particularly that long, and and stuff that is 
the most famous on the Game Boy is stuff like Tetris, which has a very kind of simple idea that you just play over and over again. So, um, although I guess there's stuff like Pokemon as well, which is insane for the, the like the original two, Red and Blue. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, when you have less uh, that you can use, it really does open up your creativity. I think that a lot, a lot of the Game Boy games that I used to play... Like you've barely got any space on a Game Boy cartridge, so it just really you have to take creative choices to be able to make the best of what you've got. And it seems like with this game, they've absolutely maximised the potential of what it could be. Yeah, it. It. I mean, obviously, a lot of it is that they are taking a lot of ideas from uh, from Link to the Past, and it is kind of that thing where you know they take certain parts of the Ocarina of Time and they not do a palette swap but but they you know use resources they already have there to make Majora's Mask and I'm curious to see if Breath of the Wild 2 does a similar thing as well um, just because from the brief amount of gameplay footage we saw that a lot of that does look a lot like Breath of the Wild uh, but darker um, so do you think they'll call it Breath of the Wild 2 though I think they're more likely to just call it something else I'd be curious because they haven't done a numbered sequel since the second Legend of Zelda game, um, so I don't think they will. But it's definitely yeah. it's definitely going to be you know it, this is very much a sequel to Breath of the Wild. So um, yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. again, I'll wait and see what you and uh, you and Dave thought about that next week. Um, but yeah, I guess I'll give my elevator pitch for Link's Awakening. Um, if you want to wait till the, the new game comes out, that is absolutely fine because it looks incredible. But Link's Awakening is uh, one of the weirder takes in the Zelda series. It's a game that uh, stands as high as something like Link to the Past, but you know, Link to the Past was on the Super Nintendo and it is the game that set a lot of the um, ideas and motives and design tropes that we see in all Zelda games going forward. But Link's Awakening does all of that, just a little bit weirder, um, but still with as much charm and um, originality and creativity. And um, it's just, hey, it's a Legend of Zelda game, and it's a really good one. What more do you need? Uh, and yeah, and there's chain chumps. And there's chain chumps. And I'm yeah. just fingers crossed for uh, the, the remake on the way. So with that, uh, we don't have a game announced for next week, so you can wait because, well, actually next week will obviously be the E3 episode, so um, you can look forward to that. And then the week after, we will be back back to your regularly scheduled broadcast. Um, in the meantime, we have a bunch of shows. We have the wrap up uh, once in a while, look at the world of professional wrestling, which I think we are due to do an episode soon because there is a lot of crazy shit going on at the moment. G1 preview? I, I could definitely do a G1 preview. Uh, we, we haven't even mentioned AEW at all. I, that wasn't even a thing the last time we did an episode. Um, and hey, maybe we can talk about Stomping Grounds review as well. Tra la 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 la. The Popcorn Social. Jack, what is the Popcorn Social? The Popcorn Social is it's supposedly, allegedly, at one stage, a monthly show of me and Dave talking about cinema. Uh, and it just kind of has gone away. I have seen some very mediocre, for the large part, films recently. Yeah, um, Dark so Phoenix there's... by any chance? 
Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness me, was that just a film that okay. lasted okay. for two bit hours. Spot. Dark Phoenix or The Last Stand? Uh, <laughs> well, you see, The Dark Phoenix did not feature Vinnie Jones saying, I am the juggernaut, bitch. So for I'm better or for worse? Go- no, for worse. Okay. It is one of my favourite moments in the history of cinema. <laughs> <laughs> when a dodgy ex Wimbledon defender decides to drop the, the phrase I'm the juggernaut bitch in a movie it, it's never going to get better than that in my opinion so yeah All right. well, uh, I'm glad to see where the bar is at then yeah Sophie Turner was just kind of meh uh, in it and that's not because I think she's meh I actually think she's pretty good but I, I, I just don't think it was a particularly compelling portrayal I, I think everyone looked bored in that film yeah, Jennifer Lawrence it, by far was just like I'm done with this can I move on to the next thing yeah I mean spoiler alert she didn't hang around for too long in the movie I wonder well. if she got hold of that script as like let me just put this in here and yeah, cool. I'm just gonna cross a few lines out and just put my own bit in here and then walked off the set <laughs> peace out bitches um, yeah oh dear it was yeah <laughs> Uh, so yeah, there hasn't been too many good films. I'm I'm waiting to see the Diego Maradona documentary. I'm going to see a film called Yesterday T- Tomorrow, which sounds so bizarre, but I am actually seeing Yesterday Tomorrow. Have you heard of this movie, Mark? Uh, I know it's something to do with the Beatles, but that's as much as I know. So the premise is a guy like wakes up from like a weird dream, and he's in a world where no one has ever heard of the Beatles, and the Beatles haven't existed. So he starts playing their back catalogue and passing it off as his own songs, basically. Ah, uh, okay. I don't know about you, but I have had that daydream many a time before where I've been listening to like a band that I really like and an album, just thought, man, I really wish I'd written this, you know, or like the idea of. Um, I mean, Dave Grohl's even said this in a Foo Fighters documentary, like you're at your favourite band's gig and whatever member of the band of the instrument you can play gets injured and you're like, I can go up and finish this. So I think there's a concept... Well, that's what we had when Metallica did download that one, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So for for the sake of that concept, I'm very excited about that movie. And then movie of all movies, summer of all summer movies, Toy Story 4 comes out next week. So I I think... It's going to break the monotony of what I'm now calling here the uh, popcorn segment. I thought you were going to say the uh, that new film with Jason Statham and The Rock. Oh, listen. Listen here, right? Uh-huh. Hobbs and Shaw uh-huh. may be the greatest cinematic event of our time since Vinnie Jones' stint in X-Men The Last Stand. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm putting it on that level. I feel like it could reach those heady heights. Oh, man. Vinnie Jones, he was replaced, wasn't he, by Jason Statham. I feel like they were kind of um, culturing Vinnie Jones to be what Jason Statham is in movies now. And they realised, oh, yeah, he has absolutely no range whatsoever Uh, of performance. I I was going to say, I don't think he replaced Vinnie Jones as he... He did, though. Because Vinnie Jones was being... He was in, like, God in... He hasn't gone in 60 seconds. He was at X-Men Last Stand. Like, there was a Vinnie Jones moment. You know, he was in um, Lock, Stock and Snatch as well, alongside I mean, Jason Statham. Jack, can we talk about the only film that matters, which is Mean Machine? Exactly. There you go. But these are all kind of, like, big movies that he he was given this career. Yes, but you know? Mean Machine was the best one. Um, I mean, Gone in 60 Seconds is one of my favourite bad movies ever. Yeah, but that's not for Vinnie Jones, though. That That's a Nick Cage film, all right? 
let's let's not forget him as the leader of a Manchester United hooligan group in Eurotrip. Uh, if you've ever seen that, I've never seen that film. Oh my goodness me! I'm yeah, happy they, to keep it that way. No, you really. It's a really funny movie. It sounds like it's going to be trash, but it's actually low key really excellent because it was written by a guy that co-wrote the Clerks animated series with Kevin Smith. Um, so it's actually like a really it looks like a trashy teen comedy and it is but it's it's very funny as well at the same time so yeah and it has matt damon cameoing as as the lead singer of like a punk rock band who ends up fucking the main character's girlfriend and then writes a song about it honestly (laughs) i sings it in front of him i'd have been less surprised if you said it was matt damon cameoing as matt damon yeah, well, I mean, if Matt Damon is a punk rock singer, is Matt Damon carrying? I, I watched the film. I watched the film last night that uh, called Heartbreakers, and uh, I it's really weird because Jason Lee is in it, and Jason Lee isn't someone I thought about for a really long time, and he plays just a very a very soft character, I should say, and not saying that I I establish when I think about Jason Lee because most of my Jason Lee viewing experience is just. Um, dogma, and obviously his character in that is just nothing like that at all. Um, or Morats. <laughs> I've never seen Morats. Oh my goodness, man! Look, I, uh, you, look this yes. is why I don't do the popcorn social, all right? You um, you should watch Morats because it's a very good movie, and if you like Jason Lee, that is probably Jason Lee's most Jason Lee role, where he's just a sarcastic dick all the way through, uh, and he's very very good. And it was actually his first like main mainline movie role and he's absolutely brilliant in it so from there to finish off we have days of thunder which is <laughs> i forgot that we were wrapping the show up oh man dave... i'm gonna try to take over the end of the show every week dave ryan's i he's reviewing wcw thunder every week and yeah yeah i'm just gonna cast for heartbreakers by the way Zach Galifianakis, Sarah Silverman, uh-huh. Nora Dunn, Gene Hackman, Jason yep. Lee, Ray Liotta, yep. Sigourney Weaver, and Jennifer Love Hewitt. Yep. Have I never seen this? I'm uh, watching this. It's it's alright. It's it's a serviceable serviceable film. I I enjoyed it. Cool. Yeah. Go on. So there Dave Ryan, blah blah blah. Dave Ryan, WCW Thunder. He's something insane. something. Lee Malone. Like the things Top that lad. the things that people would do to you know take a pun. Uh, a play on words and you really just fucking run with it but fair play to him uh yeah you can go and listen to that as well and that is us done so i am mark robinson you can follow me online at twitter at lithium project he the man over there is jack lazell at jack lazell jack do you have any final thoughts before we head off into the sunset yeah when does a sandwich become a hot dog and is a hot dog a sandwich